if everyone makes their way back to their seats, uh, let me invite you to open up to Genesis chapter 27. We're going to be closing out Genesis chapter 27 this morning and uh, transitioning into chapter uh, 28. If you don't know me, my name is Kirk, uh, and I'm the pastor here, um, and we are really glad that you're with us today. I mean that genuinely, with all sincerity. Um, since August, we have been working through the book of Genesis. Um, for those who might not be as familiar um, with their uh, with their Bibles, that's the first book as you open up, written by Moses, explaining um, who God is, who uh, we are, why the world is the way that it is, and what God would do about that, and and through His Son Jesus. And so, um, over the past over the past months, we have been going verse by verse, chapter by chapter, with the goal of each week understanding. God's intent in inspiring the words that Moses wrote while tracing the promised redemptive seed of Genesis chapter 3. It's a great opportunity for us to revisit what we believe about the Bible. We believe that God's word is inerrant and that it is infallible. That means that it's incapable of being wrong, right? And that it is without error. And so we um, submit ourselves to the authority of God's word, believing that it is a divinely inspired word, that this book is divinely inspired as, uh, as God, by way of his spirit, uh, inspired the, uh, the biblical authors to write and to record what we have this morning to the glory of his name and for our transformation, right? So, so God's word works um, in bringing about transformation to the human heart. And all of this makes a whole lot of Jesus. Right, And so we um, really love God's Word, and thus we take the approach to the Scriptures that we do. In fact, um, this past week, uh, a friend of mine gave me this, this really wonderful book by Lewis Allen that I haven't had an opportunity to spend a lot of time in yet, but it is called The Preacher's Catechism. Um, and on uh, for chapter 9, um, it asks the following question and then answers, Why does God call us to preach? Now, why does God call me to preach, and what is my goal each week as I stand before you and to present uh, God's word? Well, God calls us to serve all of our hearers with the gospel. That's the answer to the question. Why does God call us to preach? Well, because he calls us to serve all of our hearers with the gospel. And so this morning, that is my goal. That's been our goal over the course of the past months as we've worked our way chapter by chapter through the book of Genesis, that we might... Um, see this promised redemptive seed drawn off the pages of Scripture, and that in doing so, God would be made much of, right? That's our, our goal, and that is one of our desires. Last week, we came around this idea of God's grace to rescue, triumphing in spite of humanity's best efforts to foil his plan. Let me, let me say that one more time, because that's important for the first half of of chapter 27, and it really sets us on a right trajectory to understand our place in the world today and why we ought to um, look to God's word and practice and desire obedience, right? Last week, we came around this idea of God's grace to rescue triumphing. Right? God's, God's plan and God's purpose triumphing, proving victorious in spite of humanity's best efforts to foil his plan. Last week in the first half of Genesis chapter 27, we saw a mess, right, being laid out before us through broken people, broken characters. And yet, in spite of all of the brokenness observable in the first 40 verses of Genesis chapter 27, God is faithful, 
right? God's, God's will and plan and purpose, right? His end game here in this particular instance is realized. This week, we are going to uh, dive into this idea of sin's effects and the need for refuge. Sin's effects and the need for for refuge. As we think a little bit more about uh, kind of where we find ourselves in the middle of chapter, or maybe towards the final third of chapter 27, it is interesting to know that all of the mess and all of the sin that we have observed through this chapter up to this point comes not through the enemies of God per se, but the family that he chose for himself to use in a most unique and incredible way. It's God's chosen people that are acting this way. It's not not his his enemies per se, but in fact those whom he has set apart for this most unique purpose. This morning we are going to be exploring this. Sin's consequence being judgment. We're going to talk about sin's consequence being judgment, yet we observe rescue and blessing being available through Christ for those to look to and trust in him. Sin's consequence is what? Judgment. We're going to observe that as, as this, this scene continues to lay itself out, right? The consequences of, of Isaac's sin, right? The favoritism that he showed and displayed for Esau as opposed to Jacob, despite the fact that, that Isaac is well aware, right, that the blessing that he is to pass down to his children was to go to the youngest, not the eldest, Right? Not his favored, but in fact his, his wife's favored son. Consequences for sin. And yet, as we will see through the last portion of Genesis 27 and on into chapter 28, there is blessing available for those who, who look to and trust in Christ. Who look to God in faith, confident that his plan and purpose will ultimately be realized. And so let's do this. Let's go to Genesis chapter 27. We're picking up where we left off last week, verse 41. And the after effects of this realization from Esau that that he got God, right? That was the language that we used last week, right? That that Esau has, um, in, in a sense, been had, and now as we look towards verse 41, we see him processing through the sin that he has found himself the object of. How does Esau respond to the sin that he experiences? Right? How, is, how is Esau going to respond to his being sinned against? This is a really helpful, practical, and applicable question. How do we respond when we are sinned against? What is sin? These are some questions that we're going to be uh, kind of dialoguing through. Uh, as we work our way through this this passage. Look with me at verse 41. Let's jump into the text. Here we go. Verse 41. Now Esau hated Jacob because of the blessing with which his father had blessed him. So so the first 40 verses serve to bring us into this realization of conflict and hostility between these two brothers. If you're a sibling and you're in here, perhaps you're not altogether unfamiliar with the the type of conflict that that we're talking about. Perhaps you've been so mad before, you'd be like, I'm so mad I could kill you. Here we see this happening, right? We see this happening between, between siblings. We see a brother who is so... Angry. 
a result of his his younger brother, in his mind, deceiving his, his father and receiving for himself the blessing that he felt was due to him. Esau hated Jacob because of the blessing with which his father had blessed him. So much so that as we continue on, we find Esau actually talking to himself. He's, he's, he's talking out his hatred. Right? The, the overflow of his heart. He's just spewing out. What we find is, is that he is devising this, this plan. Continue with me through verse 41. Esau said to himself, The days of mourning for my father are approaching. Then I will kill my brother Jacob. We see through Genesis chapter 27 a blueprint of sin's effect in people. We see from Genesis chapter 27 a blueprint for sin's effect in us. Jacob's deception and Esau's subsequent anger, the anger that follows in light of Jacob's deception. As we come into verse 41, we are provided a little bit of insight into the mind of Esau. We see the wheels turning, don't we? My father's life is is waning to a close. Remember, we talked about this last week. We talked about how how how, how Isaac's uh, his faculties are fading, right? How he is he is approaching the end of his life. He doesn't see that well. There's this realization that his time is is drawing short, and thus this this plan to begin handing out blessing. Let's put our uh, our, our our lives and all the things that are to be accomplished towards the latter end in order. Let me take care of, of business that needs to be taken care of. My father's life, from Esau's perspective, is waning to a close. It's coming to an end. Death is gaining ground ever more quickly at this point. And after the days of, of mourning, right? Of mourning my father's passing. That is being, that is being sorrowful, right? Lamenting his passing. Then, I'm going to what? I'm going to murder my brother Jacob. From Esau, we see this sinful, premeditated plan for evil. One that perhaps reminds us of an earlier conflict between siblings that resulted in, yes, the older killing the younger. That's the story of, of Cain and and Abel. We talked about the horrific nature of this particular sin. Right, given the closeness of the, the brother relationship, of the familial relationship, right? For, for one sibling to despise another sibling to the point that he would desire his death? Holy cow. Right? I mean, we know that sin has massive consequences, right? That when we sin, there are consequences. <laughs> Right? And it is this, this display of the overflow of the human heart. Out of the heart come these desires. And yet as we think about this specific sin, we go, man, like brother against brother, that really strikes a chord. Why? Because, because we oftentimes use these types of relationships to describe the closeness 
that exists between two individuals, right? If you have a best friend, right? You may not have a sibling, but I would venture to say that, that many people in this room, all of us have what we would describe as a best friend, right? When you have that best friend, what do you say, right? You say they're like a brother to me, right? Like a, like a sister to me. We bring them into these types of relationships in order to describe how close we are, right? Samson's like a brother to me, right? We're so close. We're such good friends. We know everything about one another. We desire what is what is good for one another, right? And yet here, we see how sin stains and scars this relationship. Right? How we now have an older brother who desires to take the life of his younger brother. Right? If it could be compounded anymore, I think that, that that dynamic plays into it, right? Because what's an older brother supposed to do? We tell you this all the time, right? Even now, like, you're the older sibling. Like, you're Piper's older brother. Like, you need to watch out for her. You need to protect her. Yet here we see this older brother acting sinfully, right? Shamefully. Desiring not what is good, but in fact, in fact what is evil. Following the, the events of Genesis 27, 1-40, we find Esau consumed with this feeling of jealousy. We find, we find Esau consumed, overcome with this feeling of, of anger. Feelings that have led him to treasure revenge against his brother over everything else. Esau is in the process of, of right now, as we read and unpack verse 41, treasuring his feelings, right, and then treasuring his desire for what he is determined to be just, as opposed to submitting himself to the clear, sovereign will of God. Now, let us be reminded that this scenario, as it is laid out, is not... It's not Isaac's desire, ultimately. Or it's not Rebecca's desire, ultimately. But it's God's. Right? That, that the younger brother, Jacob, would be the recipient of the blessing. That he would be the one, as we're going to talk about a number of, of, of other times this morning as we continue through this passage. That he would be the one that this, this promise of redemption that we trace through these these wonderful and gloriously inspired books would flow. This is exactly what sin itself is. One well-known theologian defines sin this way, which is helpful. Right? Perhaps you're here and you go, okay, I'm, I'm aware of, of sin. Like I even understand sin working um, in opposition to the Lord. But what is the definition for sin? How would we describe sin? How would we define sin? How would we explain to others what sin is? Maybe we can come alongside this, this definition. Sin is any feeling, thought, or action that comes from a heart that does not treasure God over all things. Any feeling, thought, or action that comes from a heart that does not treasure God over all things. That is a heart that prefers 
anything to God. That is sin. Right, sin is any, any feeling. Sin is any thought. Sin is any action that comes from a heart that does not treasure, that does not, that does not love, that does not prize God over all things. Let's unpack this in just a, a few areas for a moment. Sin is preferring our position. Right? Sin is pre- preferring our position politically, socially, professionally, or even morally above God. Sin is our, our feelings toward or thoughts about an individual. Right? Or, or circumstance, treasured over God. This is sin. Right? Our, our response to our being mistreated, wrong, hurt, misunderstood, valued or preferred to God, that is sin. Are we getting the picture here? Here, we're talking about extremely low-hanging fruit. Right, we've done some work to establish that an older brother's desire to murder his younger sibling is sinful, as though you needed that. Right, but, but when we begin to think about sin in this context, that being the valuing of any of these things over and above God, we find ourselves in sin. You know, as we look back, we can see that there is a progression over the course of the last two chapters. From Genesis chapter 25 and, and the despising of his birthright, remember we saw Esau there. It says that he, he despised his birthright and just traded it over to his brother Jacob for a bowl of, of soup. To what we see in Genesis chapter 27 as a, what I would describe and define, a despising of God. And his mission, that is, the redeeming of his sinful and rebellious creation. And the blessing of the nations extended through this family. Let's connect some dots. Connect the dots. You guys remember that game? We're about to do that right here from Genesis 27. Through his despising of Jacob which is where Esau is, right? He's, he's occupying this, this position. He's on this plot in which he says, I am despising my younger brother. We talked about it in verse 41, to the extent at which he despises his younger brother. He desires to, to kill him. Through his despising of, of Jacob as God's elect, let's be clear, Jacob is the one whom God has chosen for his plan to pass through. I don't know that we are out of bounds in connecting this to a despisal of God himself. By despising God's mission, despising God's plan, despising God's purpose, if we trace that back to the source, can we not say then that that is ultimately a despising of the Lord? That to despise God's mission is to despise God himself. Reality that, that serves to challenge you and I in the way that we the way that we see people. Right, what does it say about our, our feelings towards God and our love for Christ as we despise those who are created in his image? I'm just I'm just saying, right? By this 
despising Jacob, Esau is, in essence, despising God. As well as God's mission, God's people, and finally, the nations. To which you say, hey, we're playing connect the dots. How did we get here? Help me trace this, this backwards. Esau desires to murder the agent, his younger brother, by which God's plan first articulated all the way back in Genesis chapter 3, clarified in Genesis chapter 12, would move forward. Esau's plan, his sin, has led him to this place in which he says, my desire is to murder the agent by which God's mission moves forward in the world. Let's be clear. If Esau could have it his way, this whole thing would come to a most abrupt end as Jacob's life is snuffed out. Which, if we do the math, right, would, would really affect you and I. Right? It would really affect you and I as, as sinners in need of the redeeming love of God. As all of this comes to its desired end in Jesus, right? The, the, the faithful son, right? The truly caring and compassionate older brother who takes upon himself our counter-blessing at the cross so that we could receive his divine blessing as we are called sons and daughters of God. Do you remember the way that this played itself out in the first 40 verses of Genesis chapter 27? Right? Jacob deceives Isaac. He becomes the recipient of the blessing in line with God's desire, sovereign plan, and purpose. Esau comes in and quickly discovers that the blessing has been given. It has been extended. At which point he says, well, surely there's enough blessing to go around, right? Any more blessings? You got a blessing over here for me? Maybe, you know, a, a quarter of a blessing? Any blessing at all, right? Esau's fishing. And as we, as we work through those first 40 verses, we see Isaac extend a, a blessing to Esau. But what we find is that it's almost on the polar opposite end of the spectrum from everything that Jacob found himself the recipient of. I want us to, to consider for a moment how in Christ we see a better, more faithful older brother. Right, a, a faithful son who, as a result of, of our sin and the judgment and punishment that we are due, steps into, he, he condescends. Man, I love that picture. I love that, that language, this idea of, of God, right, existing in, in perfect Trinitarian fellowship within himself on into eternity past, right, becoming low, right, taking the form of a, of a servant, condescending, coming down, entering into sinful flesh so that, right, the, the counter-blessing that we see that we see pronounced as a result of our, of our sin and our rebellion from God, right, could, be, could be taken upon himself and that we then might become the recipients of the blessing. Man, it's an incredible picture. 
find that this story, however, is Esau failing. Right? He has failed. And he, he is failing, even now, to see the events that have transpired as divinely orchestrated. Well, maybe he does see it, right? And he simply doesn't care. Having become so overwhelmed and consumed with hatred for his brother. Either way, we see a perfect model of how not to deal with sin. <laughs> right? How do we not want to deal with sin? Insert Esau. That is not the desired response. Yet we do find this coupled with a right response to an understanding of God's desired plan in Isaac. Esau desires ill will towards Jacob. That is the goal. Yet as we continue forward in the story, we find news of this having reached Rebekah. And as a result, she reaches out to Jacob. Look with me at the text. She says, Behold, your brother Esau. Again, let's think about the sin that we see on display here. We know that he desires to, to, to murder his brother. He desires to take the life of his brother in response to the deception, right, the hurt and the anger that he feels. But it's even greater than that. And it could be, right? Behold, your brother Esau comforts himself about you by planning to kill you. Not only does he desire to kill you, right, which is in and of itself sinful, right, but he finds comfort in his sin. He finds comfort in this desire by planning to, to kill you. Now, we don't know how Rebecca knows what she knows, do we? Right? We're not given a ton of, of insight. Perhaps Esau is, I don't know, like pacing back and forth in his room like a lunatic, right? Like talking to himself. I'm going to kill him, right? Like, I'm going to get him, right? Devising this plan. Maybe there's a, like a, a board of some sort. Right? It's like, it reminds me of that, that meme of the, the crazy guy, you know, with all the red string, and he's like this, he's just laying it all out. You guys know, some of you, you'll get it on the way home, you'll, you'll Google it. But that's kind of what I imagine maybe is happening, right? That's one that's one avenue. Maybe the other is um, he has he's compiled this really perverse type of council meeting, right, in which he begins to, to lay out for those present his plan. Hey, here it is, guys. Killing Jacob. That's the goal. How are we going to do it, right? Let's brainstorm. Brainstorming session, right? As far as the details go, we do not have a ton of information. What we do know, however, is this. That Esau has retreated into greater and greater sin in an attempt to find comfort. Right? In an attempt to find comfort, Esau has retreated into greater and greater sin and greater sin. Maybe you're familiar with this. Right? Maybe you're here and you find yourself in a particular season of life in which you are overcome. Feeling as though you are overcome in a particular sin. And as a result, right, as opposed to 
to responding in a, in a God-glorifying, most appropriate, defined by Scripture type of way, you find yourself retreating into more and more, putting up walls and digging trenches in order to keep everyone else at bay so that you can just retreat back into, into yourself, right? Your own, and your own desires. To which I would remind you this, right? That, that, that the comfort that Esau seeks in light of the sin that he has felt is a comfort that God alone is capable of providing. Now Esau believes that he might be able to satisfy these fleshly desires, right, to, to ease the, the, the pain and the, the hurt, right, by, by murdering his brother. What do we know? Well, we know how this plays itself out, not so much specifically in the context of Genesis 27 and 28, but in our own lives, right? What type of satisfaction and comfort is found in retreating into, into greater and greater sin as a source of comfort for the sin that you find yourself in? No satisfaction, right? No comfort. You're left wanting, right? You're left asking, where do I go and to whom may I look? And the answer could not be more clear. Right? For, for comfort, for our weary hearts, right? for, our, for our sinful hearts, for our broken and rebellious hearts, know this, that the comfort is found in Christ. Right? That the comfort is, is found in our King. Comfort that is endless, right? Incomprehensible, beautiful. Comfort that is available if, if only Esau might be opened to see what his father now sees, which we're going to look at in just a moment. But before we get there, Something must be done with Jacob, right? Because Esau's plans are, are, are not working towards his ultimate good, are they? Right? So what are we going to do with, with Jacob? Well, Rebecca calls Jacob to take refuge with her brother Laban while Esau calms down. <laughs> Does anybody see this happening, like, soon? Extremely wishful thinking, perhaps, from Rebecca. Look with me at verse 43, though. Her instruction is clear. She, she calls Jacob to herself, and she instructs him, Flee to Laban, my brother, in Haran, and stay with him a while until your brother's fury turns away, until Esau relaxes. We need to give you guys some space. Or you go to this end of the house, and, and you go to this end of the house. Until your brother's anger turns away, from you, and he forgets what you have done to him. Then I will send and bring you from there. Right? Rebecca's plan is rescue from sin's consequence. Rescue from, from sin's consequence. That is Esau's plan for vengeance. And she sees this as a viable option available for Jacob 
through Laban. You're going to go stay with Uncle Laban for a while, while Esau, like, cools down. That's the plan. Look with me at verse 26. We find that this is a very complex story. We, we cannot dive into every nuance of this passage this morning, but verse 46 is an interesting one. Then Rebekah said to Isaac, I loathe my life because of the Hittite women. Jacob marries one of the Hittite women like those, one of the women of the land. What good will my life be to me? As we reflect on where we've been in the story, we're reminded that Esau has taken for himself wives of the land. Again, an undesirable action from the older brother. The family already have, have felt the, the pressure and the strain of this. It's mentioned earlier, earlier on in chapter 26. In speaking of, of the wives that, that Esau took for himself, Moses writes, and they made life bitter for Isaac and Rebekah. Right? But one son has just, has just already kind of gone off of the rails. Now, if this is to happen with, uh, with, with, with Jacob, man, what good will my life be to me? And so, again, there is this, this plan that is set into motion. We're about to have a conversation, and this is going to be an element of it. Isaac, continuing on in the story, hang with me. Then Isaac called Jacob and blessed him and directed him, You must not take a wife from the Canaanite women. Arise and go to Padan Aram in the house of Bethuel, your mother's father, and take as your wife from there one of the daughters of Laban, your mother's brother. So there's this, this piece of instruction informed by what we see in verse 46. Right? Don't, don't act as your brother, but instead take the following steps in bringing about um, a, a wife. For you. You see this, this blessing, which is interesting because we've already heard a blessing, haven't we? We looked at a blessing last week. We saw the blessing that was, that was stolen, at least from Jacob and Esau's perspective, right? Did Isaac learn anything from that? Well, we think so, because last week when Esau comes to the table and he says, how about a blessing for me? What is Isaac's response? He says, I've already given it away. But the Lord has already, has already worked out his divine plan and purpose. Exactly what he desired to happen has happened. And so I don't have a blessing to give to you, but it, is, it has been orchestrated just as the Lord desired. Now we see Isaac calling Jacob again to what we might assume, let's paint the picture for just a moment, his, his bedside, right? And he says, all right, let's, let's do this thing again. Right? This is a right response. Last week we observed, again, sin just abounding in the life of this family. Right? Mother, father, brothers, everybody. Nobody's off limits. This week we see a, 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 a sinful response, a compounding sinful response from the older brother. Followed by this, this action in chapter 28, verse 3, that seems to indicate that Esau, or that Isaac, I'm sorry, is grasping right, what has taken place. Esau's response to sin, 
undesirable. Are we all on board with that? Okay. Isaac's response, desirable. Right? He responds now, uh, now appropriately, having understood right, that, that God is going to have his way. Verse 3. As he blesses Jacob, he says, God Almighty bless you, make you fruitful, and, and multiply you, that you may become a company of peoples. May he give the blessing of Abraham to you and to your offspring with you may take possession of the land of your sojournings that God gave to Abraham. We are seeing at this point the Trondheim Pact. Right from, from Isaac on to, on to Jacob. Right, the, new, the new patriarch of this family. Familiar language. We're reminded of the, of the covenant that God promised to Abraham. And now Isaac passes that on to his son Jacob, verse 5, thus Isaac went, uh, thus Isaac sent Jacob away, and he went to Padan Aram, to Laban, the son of Bethuel, the Arman, the brother of Rebekah, Jacob's and Esau's mother. Isaac appears to have learned from his sin. Calls Jacob back to his side before offering up a most heartfelt and sincere prayer, this time purposefully for his younger son, Jacob. I think it's fair to say that, that Isaac, to some extent, has seen the error of his ways. And that through the first four verses of chapter 28, he displays the type of response desired from Esau and from you and I. That is an admittance of sin. That is a, a realization of our sin, of our rebellion. As well as, as God's divine purposes and, and, and plan. God, your will is clear, right? And your words are true. I mistakenly believe that I knew what was best. At times, making even conscious decisions to justify my sin. This is what we see going on here in the pages of, of this wonderful book that is Genesis, chapter 27 and 28. But doesn't end here, does it? Like, we feel this in our own lives. Like, we are aware of, of instances in which we, emphasizing the, the we there, right, act upon what we believe to be best without any consideration of what God is, is doing or what God would desire. Now, this is challenging because this calls us into a deep consideration of the decisions that we make and the actions that we take. Right, so is I'm wrong? Right, is I'm sinned against? How does God's word call me to respond to such instance? Right, well, I believe this to be right. right? Or I believe this to be best. I believe that this ought to be what I do. We are called through these verses here, this bridge between these two chapters, to first consult the Word of God, right, and His desire for our lives. Does that make sense? Are we together in this? Yes? 
Here's one of my favorite ways that this plays itself out. If other people would describe you as someone who has no filter, have you ever heard this before? Think about like specific instances in which this kind of like in which this plays itself out. You ever been described that way? Man, you just don't have any filter, right? They're so open and they're, and they're so honest, they just tell it like it is. Right? This is a personality trait that can lend itself toward sin, but it's oftentimes passed off as personality. Do you understand what I'm saying here? They're so honest, right? No filter. They just they just say whatever they want to. You always know you're going to get it straight. Sometimes that's sinful. Do we get that? <laughs> right? Do we understand that? Like, that's not always good. Courtney and I have conversations about this periodically, about even in our own lives, right? Like, are we, are we veiling how we believe we ought to communicate or how we ought to respond in personality and not calling it actually what it is, which is sinful and at times hurtful or can be? Does that make sense? The way that we're thinking about the way that this, that this plays itself out. Right? This is the way that I am. This is, this is who I am. Right? And I will determine. Right? Just act out and live as opposed to, as opposed to considering what God's word ultimately has, has to say. Let's continue on. Verse 6. Now Esau saw that Isaac had blessed Jacob and sent him away to Padam Aram to take a wife from there. And that as he blessed him, he directed him, you must not take a wife from the Canaanite women. Wow, that was awkward, wasn't it? Because Esau's, Esau's hearing this and he's going, oh snap, that's me, right? <laughs> like, like there's, this is purposeful. We go back to just a few verses earlier and, 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 and Rebecca is articulating the, the, the trouble that she has experienced as a result of Esau taking for himself wives that he ought not to have. Hey, let's have a conversation with Jacob and make sure that this that this pattern doesn't persist. So Esau overhears this conversation. And his response indicates for you and I that he does not get what's happening here. Verse 7. Right? That Jacob had obeyed his father and mother and gone to Padamaram. The, the transition out is taking place. Verse 8. So when Esau saw that the Canaanite women did not please Isaac, his father, Esau went to Ishmael and took as his wife, beside the wives that he already had, Mahalah, the daughter of Ishmael, Abraham's son, the sister of Nabor. Now Esau overhears this conversation and he has come to the conclusion that in an effort, a last ditch effort to claw his way back into um, blessing territory, that he would take for himself another wife, one that from his seat would be desirable by his father and mother. Only what do we know? That's not what they're talking about at all. In fact, he takes for himself a, a wife from the line of Ishmael, the son of the flesh. He seeks to, to lean upon his own works, right, to work himself back into right relationship, right, with his father and, and mother, that, that maybe if I do this, right, maybe if I act this way, maybe if I take for myself a, a wife that from my seat is pleasing to them, then, then I'll be blessed. There's a warning here, right? There's a warning here, and there's this, this, this clear gospel. 
a blatant attempt to gain approval from his parents by taking a daughter of Ishmael as his wife. Only we find through this further affirmation of the Lord's plan to bless the nations through Jacob giving his passing over Ishmael in favor of Isaac. Ishmael's already been passed over. Right, Ishmael is not a part of the plan moving forward in terms of bringing about the redemption of a people and nations. So this is a fruitless task from Esau. But it's one that, that further displays for us the condition of his heart. I got this. I can handle this. Right, I can make things right. This is not what the gospel says. This is not what the gospel says. The gospel says that we cannot make things right. right? That we cannot claw our way back into favor with God. Right? That, that, no, that no work that we might deem as righteous is capable of reconciling this relationship that has been so broken. So what are we, what are we left to do? Well, if it doesn't depend on our work, if it doesn't depend on our decision, if it doesn't depend on what, what my response to this particular issue is, then what does it depend on? It depends on confidence in God to bring about his divine will. Right? It depends on trusting God to bring about the redemption and restoration of the nations through the faithful son that is Jesus, more faithful than Jacob, certainly more faithful than Esau. It doesn't depend on, on us. It doesn't depend on our work. Fellowship with God is not dependent. Our blessing is not dependent on our work. That very point is what distinguishes Christianity from every other world religion. It doesn't depend on your work. But it depends entirely upon yours. It depends entirely upon his. And so we're left, right? We're left here observing, yet again, God's working and weaving through these characters and this story and his plan. To bring about redemption. Here's a couple of questions that I want us to consider as we prepare to come to the table this morning. Number one, are you are you currently suppressing God's desired response of repentance and faith in response to sin? Let's ask it this way. How are you responding now as you sit here in your seats this morning to your sin? Are we, are we glossing over it? Are we justifying it? Are we retreating into to greater and greater sin in an effort to work our way out? That is totally counterintuitive, right? Are we rejecting the divine will of God choosing instead to conspire against his sovereign decrees. Right, against his, his will and his purpose. Are you, are you currently acting out of sinful desires, perhaps even in response to being sinned against or 
living in submission to God's word, responding in a way that reflects confidence and open-handedness, knowing that we can be blind and, and wrong while he cannot. Ask yourself the following question. Where is it that I find safety? Where is it that I find safety? In this story, Jacob is instructed to go to Laban and there to wait until his brother's anger subsides. You and I, right? everyone in this room under the sound of my voice, we are in need of being reminded that the anger of God towards sin does not subside. We cannot wait him out. However, in Jesus we find the only all-sufficient and pleasing source of refuge from punishment and the consequence for our sin. Let us be reminded, as Timothy Keller says, that there is no refuge from the king. There is only refuge in the king. Just as Jacob would run to Laban, you and I are to run to Christ for forgiveness and transformed affections so that we would no longer desire anything or anyone over God, but would say along with the psalmist, Psalm 73, 25, Whom have I in heaven but you? But God, you are my you are my treasure, the most important one in my life, and there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. Through Genesis 27, we see a younger brother, a younger son, despised by the older. Sin's weight is heavy. As we come to the table, we narrow our focus. We narrow our focus upon the better older brother. And the only begotten Son, Jesus, who is despised for the sake of the despising, Isaiah 53. By ruling as a king and rescuer of our sinful hearts as we are transformed to embrace his divine work. That's where we are. And these are the questions that we consider as we come to the table. Right? Remembering take of, of these elements, Christ's body broken, the sinless one despised so that we might be blessed, his blood poured out. We celebrate as we come to the table the hope of the resurrection, right, that while we do not deserve it and while we could not earn it, blessing is found through the sacrifice of our king. So let's respond appropriately and worshipfully.